Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. On today's show, we gave it a big, big build-up and oh my word, did Man United disappoint. Their loss to Chelsea on Sunday means they're now two points behind the Blues. Should they just wave goodbye to the title? It kills me to even say that. Elsewhere, Spurs have sacked Rianne Skinner after their poor run of games, so we wonder if they can turn it around or is it too late? And seeing as it's Mother's Day this weekend, we wanted to learn more about being a mum while you're also a professional footballer. So I sat down with West Ham star midfielder Dagny daughter to find out more. I mean, wait, we're in slightly unusual um, uh, locations this week. Um, I am coming to you from Aston Villa's training ground. I'm in uh, the changing rooms of Aston Villa's training ground. That is my um, my location today. So an unusual place to do a podcast record, that's for sure. Have you uh, bumped into any of the players yet? I mean, I suppose you could only say good things about them th- this week, given where you are. Of, of course. Um, I have chatted to a couple of players but um all of that will be revealed uh, at a later date i can't tell you i can't tell you just yet what it is we're doing i love that top secret information all, all under wraps uh, for a later date and was that someone banging on the changing room door yeah of course it was yeah love that yeah yes they're, they're <laughs> fighting to get in here Chloe. they want to be on the pod of course i mean everyone does i mean we've had well we had now emma hayes we've had uh rachel brown finnis uh we had a cameo from karen bardsley a couple of weeks back karen so, bardsley yeah everyone's um yeah, yeah everyone wants a bit, bit, bit of a piece of us and and rightly so um all right we've got to talk about i mean chelsea the man united game um i feel like chelsea have landed a bit of a decisive blow in the title race um 
And Spurs obviously being in a little bit of trouble uh, this weekend, but we'll touch on them a little bit later. I mean, Chelsea picking up the points uh, this weekend, 1-0 against Man United after an absolute cracker of link-up play between Lauren James and Sam Kerr in the 23rd minute. I mean, who else would you put your money on to be absolutely scoring a worldie at a time where it needed to happen? And after a difficult week for them, really, where they're sort of... um, you know, injuries, uh, there's this sort of winter virus thing going round, obviously off the back of the Conti Cup loss as well. So, I mean, we spoke about this a little bit before, Rage, that they seemed like this was about the weakest Chelsea that we were ever going to see. So what were Man United going to capitalise on that? But it really didn't look that way. I mean, what were your thoughts about Man United's performance? Because I was, I hate to say it, I was disappointed. Well, first of all, I would never use the term weak when it comes to Chelsea. Um Right, I meant weekend. <laughs> um, just because of the depth in that squad, you know, but you do have to obviously look at the fact that they do have some long-term injuries. So yeah, it probably was like the best time for Man United to play them. And I think probably one of their better performances against Chelsea, the closest they had come to actually winning a match. And it was quite a close match. I mean, if you look at the statistics, Man United dominated in, in terms of um, possession. So a shame they couldn't create more from that. I feel like at the moment, Chelsea are going to are going to be their bulky team for a little while for you know we've seen in the past where Man United has struggled a little bit against those kind of top three if you want to call them that which is hard to call them that now because Man United are right up in there but they've started to take points off those other teams they beat Arsenal so they were getting that momentum they were starting to put those demons to bed and I think Chelsea are maybe the last demon they need to put to bed Um, so I feel like it's Chelsea's league now not only have they got above Man United but they have the game in hand as well it just really puts their noses in front. So it will be a big, big disappointment for Man United. I think that's uh, that's really funny. I almost see sort of Chelsea as being uh, Man United's final boss, like on a PlayStation game or something like that. It's like the final the final part of the puzzle <laughs> that you've got to defeat to, to win the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, Chelsea, you know, a slightly weakened side this um, this Sunday, obviously missing Kankovic, Cuthbert out with Knox, uh, no harder, Wrighton, Kirby, Svitkova. So yeah, I mean, Emma Hayes was obviously quite uh, excited about the performance. I think she felt that they'd done a really good job. I think maybe she sounded like she might have had some concerns going into the game, but she felt they deserved it. She felt it was a dominant performance, um, you know, and she also sort of acknowledged also that it that it wasn't it wasn't a great week for them in terms of the, the build up and the prep and the you know the weekday fixture as well wasn't wasn't great. But yeah, I think for me, I think what I I saw lacking in United was the kind of the defence. Um, I think there was a couple of opportunities. I mean, Mary Out was being called into action twice, two amazing saves for her, but really early on in the game, which kind of set the tone for how things were going to go. But yeah, I think that that Sam Kerr go, obviously Lauren, um, Lauren Hemp, Lauren, Lauren James playing in an absolute worldy ball over the top, pinpoint accuracy, but it just seemed to pick apart the Man United defence for probably like the third time in that 25 minute window. Um, and I, I do think there was sort of got they got a little bit stuck ball watching at, at times. So I think that sort of felt to me like an area that they still needed to to really improve on. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously speaking to to Mark Skinner after the uh, the game, um, I mean, he felt he was furious. There were a couple of maybe dodgy penalty calls in in that game. I mean, what were your thoughts on on those? Because obviously that those would have been game changers had they gone Man United's way. Yeah, a hundred percent. He has every right to be angry. Um, they were two penalty shouts for me. There were penalties. Um, and I think they're very, very lucky that they weren't given um, because that really could have been a game changer. Because as we've talked about before, a lot of this comes down to mentality and you get a goal back, you get ahead, you know, it does change the game. So he's he's rightly frustrated. I can understand that. Um, I would be too. 
But, you know, you've touched on that Lauren James and Sam Kerr link up. I don't know what's better, the pass or the goal. Both of them were absolutely sublime. Um, so, yeah, a game like that needed a goal like that, I think. Um, but I would love to know how you're feeling because you've been on this Man United train this whole season. This must be pretty gutting for you. Yeah, I think um, this would have obviously been pivotal. I think it would have been such a significant moment in Man United's history, obviously beating Chelsea for the for the first time. And I think um, I think going forwards, I think it still says to me there's there is a little bit of a gap. Whilst it's very easy to get carried away with Man United's form this season, it is still an incredibly tight run. And I think um, you want someone new to be contending for for the WSL title. So I think it's easy to jump on that train, but. Yeah, there's still there's still a, there's still those one two three percenters there that I think Man United, whilst they've obviously you know overcome Arsenal uh, and got that win, Chelsea are still like you said those mentality monsters and and they have the experience. It might not have been the prettiest game. They might not have had the possession they wanted. They might not have had the players they wanted to enact their strategy, but they still grind out that result. So yeah, for me, Chelsea, yeah, they're they're just too bloody strong. Like even when they're weakened, they're still they're still too bloody strong. So. Yeah, credit to them. And I think Emma Hayes has every right now to um, yeah, to be happy about that result. I think for them to win a game like that is really important, um, especially after the Arsenal loss. You know, she spoke about complacency. So to see her team come out in a difficult situation and play like that and win a game like that, you know, the points are one thing, but for them as a team to know that they can do that, that they can turn up even when... Um, not everything's going their way and they can win a big game like that. And I feel like for some teams in those big moments, they can shy away or it can be make things more difficult. I feel like for Chelsea, difficult moments make them thrive. They really kind of thrive under that pressure. And obviously, look, that didn't happen in the Conte Cup final. But I feel like within the league, there always seems to be, they know when there's an edge and they like to be the ones that are being chased. It almost like gives them that extra one, two percent. So I think you know, for them as a team to be able to win a game like that in the situation they were in, it's got to be massive for them going forward. I mean, yeah, they started Sunday uh, a point behind uh, Man United and uh, and finished up top of the table. So not a bad weekend for them. Uh, now two points clear and bidding for their sec- their sixth WSL title. Um, and now they've got the ch- chance to obviously stretch the lead uh, with five points to be five points clear by winning their game in hand. Um, I mean, they next face Man City away on the 26th on Women's Football Weekend. It's it's huge. And after the Sky Sports coverage of the weekend of the Arsenal-Reading game, they put up the fixtures remaining of the top four and, and where, you know, the top four, nearly two of the teams have to play three of the top four and two of the teams have to play two of the top four. So there's still a lot to be decided in this title race. And, you know, if Arsenal win their game in hand, that's three teams on 35 points. Like, that's absolutely mad. It could come down to goal difference. And equally, when you look at the bottom of the table, they did the same thing where they put up the bottom four teams and they pretty much all have to play each other. And so the bottom of the table is so, so tight as well. I was actually at the Man City-Brighton game and I tell you what, I'm heartbroken for Brighton. I genuinely thought they were going to hold out against Manchester City. Um, I was really impressed with, with how they came out and how they pressed them. You know, the first kind of five, ten minutes, I thought, oh God, you know, Man City are going to cut through them. It's inevitable that Bunny Shaw is going to score. Um, and after that first five, ten minutes, actually after the goal, they really seemed to tighten up. Um, and they had a couple of chances themselves. They had the ball in the back of the net twice, both both offside, I think, or one was offside and one was a foul. You know, so they were getting in behind the uh, Mad City defence. They were catching them out in the break really well. And they were much more compact and confident on the break. It wasn't this kind of panicky, 
you know, loft the ball forward or just swing across in and hopefully someone will be there. It was really, really good play. So whatever Amy Merricks has done in her first week has been really impressive and, and they've put out two good performances against Chelsea and Man City. So it's kind of hard to know for this Chelsea-Man City game, you know, Man City weren't at their best, but also Brighton were equally playing quite well. So whether that means that there's a weakness there that Chelsea can exploit, I don't know, but it is a huge game, huge game in the title race. I mean, it's going to be huge in terms of just this sort of the attacking lines. I'm just really interested to see, you know, Lauren James, Sam Kerr, Chloe Kelly, Bunny Shaw, you know, who's going to come out on top here? Because, um, you know, all four of them have been on absolute cracking form. So I one thing I will say is the fact that Brighton caught Man City on the break a couple of times, and that's what we were seeing from Chelsea with Man United. They were going over the top. That could be the area that... Chelsea can exploit you know we can see what Lauren James can do with the ball and where she could put it we can see how Sam Kerr could take it down and finish so that's something that Man City will need to be really careful of right well I mean we've touched on the the battles at the top of the table but down at the other end the relegation zone is also a little bit spicy this year um Liverpool picking up the points from Spurs uh 2-1 this weekend I mean Again, we saw a little bit of a similar tale with, with Spurs, obviously going the goal ahead with uh, the goal from Ayan and then obviously losing losing the lead. And I just, um, for me, I mean, the Spurs, Spurs' form, Spurs' form, I mean, we've got to talk about it because it's just gone from OK last season, obviously finishing up fifth. I think we were sort of singing Rianne's praises, saying how amazing she, she'd done with, with the, the talent that she had. But yesterday, big news, Rianne Skinner let go. Um... Yeah, I think that, that, to me, that came out of the blue. I wasn't expecting that. I know, obviously, the the bad run of form, and you'd be thinking, okay, well, her job's on the line, but I thought they'd at least let her see out um, the, the end of the season. Um, but obviously, I mean, given the consecutive run of losses they've now had, they've not won a game since uh, the 8-0 win in, uh, against Brighton in October. I mean, Rachel, were you surprised by that? Because I, I, I generally was, despite their bad form. I, w- I was a bit surprised. I mean, I understand them. Yeah, like you say, they've been on a terrible run of form, but... I felt like she had the backing of the club and they understood that this is a longer term project. Um, so I'm re- I am really sad to see Rianne Skinner go. I hope she stays in and around the WSL. Um, I'm a big fan of hers and she's a lovely person. Kind of, She's always come across really well when speaking to her in, in press conferences and post-match and stuff. Um, yeah, I think like up until that kind of end of October, things had kind of been going as expectant um, for Spurs. You know, they, they'd beaten the teams kind of in and around them, lost to Arsenal, lost to Man City. And then after that 8-0 win against Brighton, they had a three-week gap, you know, in the in the fixtures. And they seemed to just kind of forget how to score. Um, to be fair, between that, you know, when they came back in November and kind of Christmas, you know, they came back to Chelsea um, and they, but then to lose to Reading, West Ham, and Everton before Christmas—that's kind of the killer blow for me, um, because they then tried to make so take some steps to change that. They brought in some players in the transfer windows, with big players, and then they come back. You know, they play Chelsea, they play Man United, they play Man City. You know, and I think in any other season, losing to them wouldn't be such a big deal, um, but losing to them on the back of four, five, six losses or four or five losses suddenly that compounds. Um, the issue so you know I feel like they never really got any kind of consistency or foothold um, in the in the league and I yeah I feel free and I think in this league with 22 games it's so easy to slip into a, a losing streak or a run of bad form and it, it's hard to get out of it because you could be hit with 
one of the top four teams a couple of times in that in that space of, of when you're struggling. So, um, yeah, I think the other thing that, you know, I don't think they get enough credit. I know I talk about it a lot, but all the injuries they have on that squad. Um, but look, it's often the case that this is how you deal with a big, if there's a big issue around form and results, you sack the manager. So it's risky, but we'll see. I mean, you played for Spurs. You tell me, like, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think I think I was just surprised. I think um, obviously they've got the game uh, against Leicester uh, tomorrow, and I did think that that was potentially going to be maybe the turnaround point. I think that was difficult to say because I hadn't anticipated actually that Leicester would be doing so well at this point in time. I mean, obviously picking up uh, you know the point with the draw this weekend, they've obviously had a, a great run of form after the uh, after the January break or the Christmas break. So. Yeah, I think um, for me, I would have given Rian that game and then see how, how the land lied after that. Because I think that would have been then the sort of the 10th game to sort of really assess where things were going. Obviously having the nine losses, but that could have been the win that kind of changed their their mindset. And I don't think, obviously there's four points, I think, between the, the bottom four teams. So it is still very tight. It's not going to take a lot to get yourself out of that. I think two wins would potentially mean that you're probably going to be safe. It's hard to say, but probably going to be safe. Uh, and given how Leicester are still, uh, you know, struggling for those points, I think it, you know, that it's not a great season for them. But I think sometimes you do, you do have to just ride these seasons out. Um, so yeah, I, I was disappointed. I think it's all too easy just to sort of see, oh, well, we've had a bad run. Let's sack the manager because you, you've got to think about the impact that that's actually going to have on the club and the players going forwards. You sacking the manager is not going to mean you bring someone else in and all of a sudden you're ma- you're magically going to transform the rest of the season. Like you still have the same players you still have the same setup you've just got to try and you know instill a new strategy or instill a new mentality with them so I don't think it's going to necessarily think you know feel any different if they'd have just left her for the rest of the season for me um but yeah I mean what do you think they're they're going to do any any kind of uh, managers that you feel are going to step in and, and take the reins on a, on a struggling side well Vicky Jepson obviously is um, assistant manager and is stepping in at the moment you could see her uh, be given the, the full-time job I don't know I think it'll all very much depend on how they finish the season and it's a big risk doing it before the Leicester game I think because yes I understand the Leicester game's a must win and they're on this bad run of form but thinking something is going to change in two days um, is risky uh, but you know we We've seen in the past when teams get rid of their manager, sometimes there's a manager, a new manager bounce or kind of a coming together in a in a very difficult moment and maybe they're relying a little bit on that, but that is a must-win game. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I also think there's often less pressure on, a, on an interim manager um, as well. So we'll see. I, I, I would still be surprised if they go down this season. I'd be really disappointed if they go down this season. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to know. I mean, setup wise, you were there when when they were kind of they come into the WSL, and you know, in terms of the background of it, it always felt like a long term project, right? It always felt like the club was bought into this long term project. Yeah, it was never. I think that was the thing going from the championship to the WSL, and you. I think you've got to remember. I think back when that was sort of being considered, we, that was the first time that we had the two championship teams going into the WSL. And I don't think Spurs had really anticipated that we would be taking one of those two spots when we first started that season. I think it came as a bit of a shock to all of us. Uh, obviously, with Man United doing doing so well that year, um, but I think it, it, the the last couple of years, I think for Spurs, have been very transitional. Um, obviously, they had the whole Alex Morgan situation. They were training at the Hive. There were loads of issues at the Hive. The, the facilities. We went through the pandemic in our first year of being a Championship club. 
we changed over 11 players, I think, that season. Obviously, now Spurs bringing in, you know, some of the big dogs with uh, with Beth England. But I think it, it would be absolutely killer. It'd be such a killer and significant blow for a team like Spurs to be dropping back down into the championship. I mean, how can you justify spending £250,000 on a player who will then be playing at championship level uh, next year? It would just be absolutely madness. But maybe that says a lot about how well the championship is uh, is going and the progress that that's making, that you've got a quarter of a million pound players then playing in that league. Um, but I don't, I, like, like you said, I don't think I don't think that's going to necessarily take place. But I do think, like you said, that the, the game against Leicester has now become incredibly critical. And I would be worried because Leicester seems to have found their feet a little bit and they are full of confidence and they are a jammy side. They continuously avoid relegation just through sort of gut luck and sheer determination. So, um, so yeah, this could be uh, one of the tastier fixtures um, this, uh, this week. There's some other massive news uh, kicking off this week. We spoke briefly about this uh, last week. Uh, Corinne Diacre sacks as the head coach of France. Uh, French Football Federation said there were irreversible divisions between the players and the hierarchy, which was detrimental to the interests of the national team. Um, after the uh, the French uh, Football Federation president, Noel Legrat, uh, resigned last week, the exec committee commissioned a report by the interim president, uh, Philippe uh, Diallo, into the situation of the women's team. Uh, a statement after Diacre's uh, dismissal uh, stated it had high objectives for the team at this year's World Cup and the Olympics uh, next year. Um, I mean, to me, this is obviously quite an unsettling time for, for the French team. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it looked like even in the aftermath of the, the you know, the issues that the players have been speaking about, Katoto, um, you know, Reynard saying we're not happy with how things are going, we're going to take a step away from the team. Diacre continued to say... I'm still going to stay. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not I'm not going anywhere. And now, you know, the power of the players, the athlete platform, uh, prevails in in this respect. But um, yeah, Rach, you've you've obviously heard a lot more about this being on um, being in all those secret WhatsApp groups that you talk about. I mean, what are your thoughts on on uh, on her leaving? How unsettling it's going to be for the team coming up to uh, to the World Cup this year. I mean, it's it's without doubt going to be unsettling. Um, it's about time. I think she went. You know, I just think with that much disruption in a in a squad, it's not good for the squad. And and results wise, you're not getting the best out of what is you know a generational squad. And um, I mean, it is slightly concerning that the federation did say the way the, the the way the players used like did what they did to express their criticisms was no longer acceptable in the future. Like, it almost feels like the French Football Federation did what they did like reluctantly which isn't ideal. You want your federation to fully back you um, and the issues that they raised were legitimate problems. How much will change? I don't know. Um, you know, Diani, I think it was, came out on TV and spoke about some of the issues, not just with Diak, although I'd say a lot of those issues are because of Diak. In terms of, you know, the lack of staff, it was a very, very small staff. They had no, they had like no kind of assistant coaches for specific areas. Like she said, there was no striking coach, for example. Um, they'd have to be really injured if they got any, if they wanted any kind of physio uh, attention. So it didn't sound like the strength and conditioning and physio side of things was brilliant either. So perhaps now with her leaving, there will be a completely different backroom set up, which would be good. Um, how much impact they can have in such a short space of time, I don't know. We don't have a lot of international windows left. But equally, you might see a team that will play with a bit more freedom because they don't have that weight in their shoulders. You know, I think it was Alan Dean already spoke after the 2019 World Cup about how players would be crying in their room. Um, so 
that's kind of one thing I'm hoping the players don't have to think about now going into this World Cup. And hopefully we'll see players come back with the changes that have been made because they're key players for the French team. And you want a player like Wendy Renard to be at a World Cup. She probably doesn't have many major tournaments left. So um, how much will change, we will see. But I'm hoping for the best. Well, from an England perspective, uh, I mean, do we want to see uh, Wendy Reynard come back? Um, obviously, we want her to for the competitive advantage that, uh, that you know, we want, we want it to be a competitive tournament, but uh, but she is obviously um, one, of, uh, one of the killer threats there. Um, but I mean, talking of, you know, players using their platform and, and inspiring social change, I mean, another big week uh, for the Lionesses. I mean, it's not enough for them really to be, you know, smashing out Arnold Clark Cups and women's Euro tournaments, um, but also using their platform to uh, obviously encourage a slightly slow government uh, to act in the face of providing uh, better equality for, for girls and boys uh, at, at PE, in PE at primary and, and secondary school level. Um, I mean, after our episode last week, the UK government announced that the schools must offer girls equal access to football. Uh, and that's obviously cemented the legacy of uh, of the Lionesses and, and the incredible things they achieved la- last summer. Uh, Leah Williamson and Lotta Wubenmoy uh, led the squad in co-signing a letter to the government asking for equal access to uh, to schools, uh, to sport in schools. 67% of all UK schools and just 41% of secondary schools currently offer football equally to girls. I mean, the new legislation coming in will make it very clear to schools that they should offer a minimum of two hours of PE and must ensure girls have equal access to all sport. I mean, we're sort of a similar age range. I mean, growing up, we were always told that, you know, as soon as PE came on, it was, you know, girls would go off and do netball and rounders. Boys would go off and do football and rugby and cricket. I mean... How do you think this is going to impact things? I mean, how do you think things are going to change? Because for me, you know, mentally, I used to really struggle with the concept that, you know, the, the boys would go outside and do the sort of what was seen then as the more masculine sports. And, and I would be told that actually I've got to play with a softball inside or or do netball. I think it's, it, this is what legacy looks like, right? This is what, when we talk about teams leaving a mark or leaving a legacy, this is what we're talking about, that kind of wider societal impact. And, you know, you can nail down and say, oh, well, is this really going to make a difference? Like you've got people saying, well, my school already does that. It's not going to change anything. It's not about that. It's not about literally creating the next lioness. It's about creating opportunity and equality. And it's about, it's that wider impact in a school, right? You, you're not going to have a kid go into a school now and, and be told you can't do this because you're a girl or you don't have access to that because you're not a boy, right? That kind of idea of gendering sport is wild, in my opinion, um, how we kind of create those structures at such a young age for no real reason um, that I can think of. So that kind of wider impact that it will have, not just on girls having access to the same access um, to play football or the same opportunities or more access to after-school activities, but it's that wider context of, of making sport a more equal playing field and, and making those opportunities more equal. So I think that will be the big change. But we also have to think about, you know, accountability, ensuring these things are being checked and being followed and being and being adhered to. You know, we all know what this government is like. Um, and obviously you have to be you have to be careful what you say about the government just in case you get pulled off air. Um, but no, I do think it is, of course, a positive thing for this government to be seen to be doing. So we need to make sure that that's being um, they're being held to account uh, and that this access is being given. But just that kind of. It's a step, isn't it? Right, progress doesn't happen overnight. And I know I've seen people say, like, what's this really going to change? What's this really going to do? I haven't seen any change yet. 
it's slow, right? Things don't happen overnight and we need to be having these conversations and making these things public um, in order to push progress and to see things change. So this is a really, really big step in the right direction. And it's just about how we follow that up and how we keep pushing. Yeah, massively. I think, um, you know, there were some statistics, I think, and I, and I know I'm, you know, always a big fan of the, the billion percent uh, statistic, but I think it was actually about 3.8 million uh, girls and women were were now more involved in, in football than they were two or three years ago. And I think that that in itself, I think, speaks, um, you know, for, for what the Lionesses have done and the kind of, and also, you know, the media outlets as well, like, you know, platforms like, like yourself, um, Sky, Barclays, the FA player, um, all sort of raising awareness of, of the game and encouraging more girls to participate. And, and I don't just mean girls from, you know, the younger girls, the younger generation, but we're seeing massive increased participation from the older generation, the generation who, you know, saw parts of the, the FA ban, the generation who were told that, you know, they they were, they shouldn't be playing sport at all, or the generation that's now being told that the only, only exercise they should be doing are like Zumba classes and things. Like I'm seeing as a coach, a lot more kind of the older um, generation, sort of 50, 60. We had someone who was 70, wants to try goalkeeping for the first time. And I think that's magic as well. I mean, yeah, it's, it's that kind of the generation you kind of missed out on on uh, this kind of beautiful wave of increased attention and, and increased uh, investment in, into the women's game. So, yeah, for me, um, I'm really excited about it. And I think more than anything, I think it just also goes to show the power of, you know, incredible um, you know, role models, especially female role, role models, and in, in, in achieving this this kind of um, you know societal change. Let's keep working. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
Now, it's Mother's Day this Sunday, and the topic of motherhood is never far away in women's football news. Just this week, Chelsea boss Emma Hayes said that more support needs to be given to players who have children after Melanie Leupold's made her first start of the season following her pregnancy. So, to get a better understanding of what it takes to balance being a professional footballer and a mother, I caught up with West Ham and Iceland midfielder Dagny Brynjasdottir last week who became a mum at 26 when she was playing for the Portland Thorns. Uh, I first asked her about how and uh, when she realised that she was pregnant, which came on international duty for Iceland. We had just won Germany away 3-2 in the qualification and then we went to Czech Republic and I just felt like I couldn't recover after the game. Obviously the game against Germany was very hard. We travelled over to Czech Republic and and yeah, I was very tired in that game and and Afterwards, I went to Iceland for a few days and then on a holiday to Tenerife, uh, where I figured I was pregnant. But it was a big shock to me, to be honest. Obviously, I was just 26. I was very young. But, um, yeah, it was in 2017. And earlier that year, um, I was dealing with back injury. Um, It was like... I didn't know that year um, it was going to be able to play in the Euros, but I got healthy like six weeks before. So I was able to play in the Euros that year. Um, so I think when I got pregnant, I yeah, it was just a big shock. It wasn't planned, and and I think I just wasn't I wasn't ready to sit out from the game for so long again. Um, and to be honest, I I cried every single day, many times a day for the first twenty two weeks. Um, I think I struggled just like how my body was changing, and and I was very sick through my pregnancy. Um, was throwing up almost from from the day I figured I was pregnant until my son was born. Um, but the reason why I stopped crying and I kind of realized it was a blessing was when I did the 20-week scan. I didn't do the 20-week scan until I was on week 22 because I was traveling in the U.S. at the time. And when I saw a midwife in a small hospital in, in Selfos where I lived at the time and and the scan went well and then I went home and she called me the day after and called me in the morning and said she had booked me another another appointment with uh, with two midwives um, in Reykjavik in the main hospital. And normally when you do a scan like that, you're only with one midwife. And and I wasn't stressing too much. That's kind of how I was in my pregnancy because I get because I, and oh, I'm not guessing. I know it was because I wasn't happy about being pregnant. I. I was just like, I, I remember how I responded. I was just like, oh, I mean, she's like, yeah, I have an appointment for you at 3 p.m. today in Reiki week. Like, and I was like, oh, I actually can't make it. And she was like, um, I think you should go. And I said, yeah, I can't, I can't go till Friday. And it was Tuesday. And I was like, um, I was like, can you reschedule for me? She was like, okay, I'll just give you their phone number and you will reschedule, but you you have the appointment 3 p.m. today, but you have to choose what to do. So I hung up and called my husband, tell him like, oh, I got this strange uh, thing where they're saying she want me to see the midwives again. And my husband, he got mad. He was like, are you stupid? We're going there right now. And I was like, oh, calm down. So what the midwife said, she said to me, she saw something wrong. I didn't know if I had a boy or a girl at the time, but she said she saw something wrong um, with my baby's eyes. But she still said, oh, it, it's not something, like your baby still has eyes, but it, it is a bit different. And I guess after my husband got a bit mad to me that I realized like 
how much of a blessing it was and how much of a blessing it was to have a healthy kid. So my husband came from work straight away and we drove to Reykjavik. It was like 45 minutes away where two midwives uh, waited for us. We got in right away. So I was kind of like, oh my God, that's a big deal. Something might be wrong. And I remember crying in the car and I was saying like, if I, if my baby will be healthy, I promise to never cry again. That's that I'm pregnant. I was like, I promise I will not cry if it, if my baby is healthy. Um, and then we got in there. My uh, I saw the two midwives, and I think I was in there for two ten, maybe ten seconds, where they said like, No, your baby is hundred percent healthy. Nothing is wrong. I promised to my husband I wouldn't cry again. I, I actually cried once after this, and he said, Remember what you promised. And I said, <laughs> Okay, I want I won't cry again. But yeah, I I really struggled through the pregnancy because I just thought about football and and what was strange. All of a sudden, when I had my son in my arms I actually felt like I didn't want to play again and the only reason kind of why I came back was because I had goals that I had not finished when I got pregnant I remember it was in April just before my son turned two where I started like really enjoying playing football again and and not feeling like I, I had to rush back home all the time just taking you back there to uh, to the pregnancy uh, I just wanted to get an idea from you about the sort of physical symptoms you're experiencing and you know how that affected your training schedule at the time and whether you sort of had any you know concerns or fears at all about you know the level of exercise that you were doing while whilst pregnant was that sort of playing on your mind at, at that point no so after I knew I was pregnant I obviously I just figure out like two weeks after my last season last game that year so I wasn't playing but I was training with a men's team in Iceland um, until on week 13 but the coach knew, I told him I was pregnant. He's a good friend of mine. And, and so after week 13, he kicked me out. He said, you can't be here anymore. <laughs> um, he, he was thinking about myself. So, and he knew I wasn't cap capable of thinking and protecting myself because he knew I was just thinking about football. And I actually did my last full session with the women's team on, I think it was week 30th or 31. Uh, I could barely walk for two days. <laughs> um, but the thing also, like with my back injury I had 2017, um, I had been healthy and not feeling any anything any back pain for maybe eight weeks. But as soon as I was pregnant, before I knew I was pregnant, some of the pain came back because it was uh, coming from a ligament in my back. So obviously, and with the hormones coming in, the ligaments get a bit looser. So, um, and I think while like I think I was a bit stupid how I trained when I was pregnant I probably sometimes did a bit too much um and I think actually with the sickness I was dealing with if I if I threw up in the morning and if I was able to maybe like get something in my in my belly and then go out to the gym I was able to finish the session and feel better afterwards but if I wasn't able to leave my house I was probably like I was normally just laying on the couch throwing up all day so I actually think going like and being active helped me a bit with the sickness or helped me a lot actually and I guess just also like with feeling like an athlete you know because I still wanted to be the athlete and you kind of like like you I felt like I was a bit lost because I didn't plan my pregnancy and all of a sudden, like I was the professional player, I was the national team player, but all of a sudden I'm just Dagny when I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do, you know? I was going to say, was there any sort of, I mean, before you had your son, um, did you have any teammates who had sort of gone through the pregnancy process whilst being a full-time professional athlete? Was there any kind of advice that they were able to give you? And, and what advice would you sort of give your teammates now if, if they were going through a similar thing? Um... 
in, so we've had Icelandic players who had kids, but we have a semi-professional league in Iceland. So most of them who had their kids stayed in Iceland. Um, but we had one of my best friends. She's actually had two kids while she played in Sweden. Her, her, her husband was the assistant coach. So, I mean, I spoke to her a bit. Then I spoke to the other girls who had played in Iceland after they had the kids just to get a bit of advice. Uh, but I actually looked up a lot to... I started following Sydney LaRue on Instagram. She had her son two years before mine. Uh, so she was kind of like just had gone through everything um, and playing in one of the best leagues in the world. Um, so I actually was just like following her and what she posted on social media. And I think that was uh, helpful. I, I still follow her. I don't know her, but uh, I still follow her just to like, I mean, she has two kids and is still playing at the highest level. I think it's amazing. Um, and I think, yeah, to be honest, like when I had my son, I had him in Iceland and then I went and played the year after uh, or six months later for Portland. But it, it is hard playing in another country, being so far away from everyone. And I actually, even though Portland gave me a great support, it was very hard. So that's why we came back in 2020 in Iceland. And it just happened that that was the COVID year. So a lot of the league um, got canceled, but I was able to play in a semi-pro league in Iceland. But at the time, we had to take that time to figure like how we were going to do it because it's hard. And you mentioned a little bit about the kind of support that um, Portland Thorns were giving you sort of throughout the pregnancy and, and afterwards. And um, yeah, what, what kind of support were, were, they, were they able to, to provide for you? Yeah, so obviously, so I was out of contract when I figured I was pregnant. I actually had the contract in my hands. It just wasn't signed when I figured I was pregnant. Um, and I didn't have it in me to sign before. So I was just honest to the coach. He, I probably told Mark Parson... I don't know, I was probably six, seven weeks pregnant because I still, I wanted to be honest and I trusted him for the secret um, uh, because I wanted to play for them. I just couldn't, you know? So, and I think the whole club, him, I mean, Mark probably almost texted me or called me every week, you know, and they showed me a great support. So, and they were always, always like, he was kept telling me like, yeah, uh, we'll just wait for you when you're ready to come back. And I went back in February, March uh, 2019 and and I was able to take my son uh, on the travels and um, and yeah, and, and I remember I had him for a week myself where they offered a babysitter in training and during the game um, for one time and, and that was just very helpful because obviously, if, I mean, it was an eight hour flight to get home to Iceland. So it wasn't like we're getting people visiting all the time. Um, yeah, but still, it was hard because obviously I would fly home or fly to Europe to go with the national team. But then two of them, my husband and my son, they would just be alone in Portland, you know. And and I think that was kind of what I thought was very hard because there is like an unwritten rule on the national team where children can travel after they turn one. So I, I, breast, I breastfed my son until he was 11 and a half months old uh, because... I, I actually missed his one-year-old birthday because I was with the national team. So I was preparing um, that I, I wouldn't be with him in that camp when he turned one-year-old. Um, but it was hard, like, I mean, leaving them in a di like on the other side of the world, you know, and going to Europe. So I think I really struggled to balance being a professional, being a national team player um, after he turned one. Um, because And I... I mean, to be honest, I actually thought about quitting the national team because I really enjoyed playing for Portland, being there, the lifestyle, everything. 
and I was going back and forth. Should I re- like quit for like do I need to change clubs or am I going to retire with the national team? But at the same time, one of my goals were to get hundred caps for my national team, and I was so close. So I was like, I can't, I can't be done with the national team now. You know, I was, I was only um, twenty seven. No, yeah, at the time. So it was a bit too young to retire. So that's why we decided to come home to Iceland and and COVID happened. So it was actually quite nice to be in Iceland. But yeah, so when West Ham came up in January um, 2021, I think it was just something I couldn't say no to. It worked perfectly. Obviously, um, England is so close to Iceland. Um, perfect to be in London. So many flights that fly into the city and... And yeah, so since we've been here, just we've been very happy. And um, and how was Tam helping you with uh, managing ma- managing motherhood? And and how is it sort of now that um, obviously your son's a little bit older? Um, how are you kind of managing childcare at the moment? Um, yeah, I think West Ham has always shown me a great support. I mean, um, they let me bring him into training, um, and sometimes I've actually brought my husband as well, just to like they can come and be around. Um, but sometimes when I've had him by myself, I, to be honest, I try to not bring him in too often. You know, it's like it's a distraction for the squad. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah. It's like it's a distraction, and I think also like sometimes for me when I'm on the pitch, I don't want him him be like calling my name or be like he he actually <laughs> think he's a part of the team. So if he wouldn't have uh, anyone taking care of him, he would probably be running in the middle of the session, thinking <laughs> like he's one of us, you know. Um, so sometimes like on Saturdays, like my husband has brought him in and my husband is playing with him on a different pitch, like while we're while we were training for obviously that's normally Matthews minus one, but not getting involved in the set pieces. Nah, no, he stays out of the set pieces. Um, but then, I mean, it happened in January that my husband wasn't in and I had my son by myself for five days and um, and I had to bring him in be- on a Saturday and then Cons actually brought in his kids who are like 11 and 13 and they just took care of him. I actually just had to ask around in the in the facility be like oh have, has everyone seen my son and they were like oh yeah he's there so i went on the pace and he was just inside playing with them the whole time so um so it's just like a massive help and they're like everyone here is so friendly and like ready to help out and i think um yeah i think that makes a big difference because obviously you want your child to feel welcome and i think and and a big reason why i decided to come to western was i mean my first phone call with them like that's where they made it very clear like that they will be welcoming like because i think clubs have to realize like they're not only signing a player they're signing they're signing a family you know so and i think just like i haven't had anything to complain about like and i really enjoy like uh bringing brinier on the pits afterwards and it's his biggest highlights of every game is coming into the changing room afterwards and i've actually not no, like if he lose, I don't want to bring him in. But actually, some of the girls are like, "No, go, come and bring him," and like they've almost gone to get him, you know. Um, <laughs> and and now when I've, I mean, when I've been here for a bit longer, I feel like sometimes it is good to bring him in, in even though we've lost, just to like make everyone a bit happy because he's not gonna care if we win or lost. He's he always sees us just like as the best players in the world and like this amazing team, you know, so he's just make, gonna make everything, everyone smile. He he wants to be a goalkeeper like Maka. He actually, when we went out to the park yesterday to play football, there was a school strike and I I had an off day. He said, mommy, you look like yourself and Kate, but I, I look like Maka. 
I was like, okay, <laughs> nice. I wish, I hope you want to look like me though. <laughs> but yeah, he, he's all about Maka and he wants to be a goalkeeper. And yeah, but Maka is a good role model as well. And she, she spoils him when he comes in. So she's one of his favorites. Oh, brilliant. I mean, it's amazing to hear sort of the support of you again at West Ham and how much he's kind of integrated himself within the squad already. Um, yeah. Obviously, I mean, you were touched on there sort of, you know, how, how a lot of the clubs now are sort of seeing the full rounded player. It's not just we're getting a player, we're getting a family, we're getting a person here. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, 2021, finally, uh, we had FIFA enforcing the rules that players are entitled to maternity leave. Um, and then last February, obviously, WSL and championship clubs confirmed that they would pay uh, full wages for the first 14 weeks of maternity leave and then statutory pay from the season onwards. Um, obviously, you've had, you know, teammates go through go through similar situations. Uh, Sarah, uh, Gunnar's daughter, uh, was awarded backdated maternity leave pay uh, in, a tri- in a tribunal landmark decision in, in January. Um, how, how important do you think sort of decisions like that will be going forwards? I think it's very important just just for the future. And I mean... It is a part of women's sport, like we can't get pregnant and it shouldn't be a barrier, you know, if you want to start a family, you should be able to. And I think it just gives us a lot of security because when you get pregnant, you're so worried about telling everyone that you're pregnant, even though it shouldn't be a bad thing, but you're so worried. And then obviously it's not great. You're worried about telling people you're pregnant, but also being worried about the salary, how you're going to live, like all that. So just like... Having all this now saddle, I think it's just it's a massive security in the women's game, and I and I think now it's starting to be more of a norm having a kid having a comeback, um, and I think now yeah like girls who like think about starting a family it's it's a bit easier now it's it's like less worries they have to think about and I, and I think that's a big thing because obviously. When you get pregnant, it is a positive thing. You should be smiling and, and like it's exciting times. I mean, it's the best thing to be a mom. So, so yeah, you shouldn't have to worry about things, you know. No, love that. I think uh, you know, obviously yourself having lived the reality of you know having some of these fe- these fears about how that would look in terms of your career and the impact that it would have, and now sort of going through a transitional period where you're seeing these reforms, you know, come in now. Um, but what are your thoughts on what still needs to be done to, you know, improve the situation for uh, footballers and, and their rights in terms of, you know, maternity leave and, and how they're treated during pregnancy? Um, I I actually, if I could change one rule all over, I would, I absolutely hate the one-year-old rule that kids can't travel with their moms after they turn one. I think it should always be up to the mom because I think a lot of the time, um, it just depends on the moms. I mean, I I know moms who have their kids and they're excited to be gone to have a bit like break you know while when I would when I'm gone all I'm thinking about it was Brynjers doing how much I would want him with me but I think it also depends how your kid is like Brynjers has always been a great sleeper easy to take care of with age he's been a bit harder just because he has a lot of energy and no social limits but um (laughs) But I think, um, for example, if, if footballers have kids who don't sleep well or have stomach problems or something, then probably the moms are excited, like a bit excited to go to a hotel and have a good night's sleep and stuff. But but yeah, I think it should always just be up to the mom if, if they want to have their kid with them or not, both here in the league or just in leagues when you go to away games or you go with national team. I think it just should always be up to the mom because the moms are used to having their kids around almost 24-7. So if that's the best thing for them, they should be able to do it. 
obviously the maternity leave is like 14 weeks and I, I, I think that's smart, but I think it could also be maybe a bit longer. So, um, maybe because some women might have to step away from the team a bit earlier, having problems with something. Um, so yeah, I think 14 weeks is not that long. Um, because I mean, maybe after 25 weeks, you won't be able to move you, your pelvis is like, I don't know, like you're struggling with it and, and all you can do is bike, you know, or something, you know, or like barely get out of bed. So I think maybe I would, I think to see it going up to like 16, 20 weeks would be good. I mean, no, I think, I mean, you picked up on a really good point there. In fact, that, you know, every, every woman's pregnancy and, and maternity is going to be completely different. It's going to be, you know, it's going to, the symptoms are going to affect you in different ways. You're going to feel and experience different things. So, um, yeah, I think a bit of flexibility in, in the, uh, the contracts and the structure would definitely be, be a good thing. Um, and yeah, Dagny, I just wanted to finally get your thoughts. I mean, uh, if you had one thing to say to, to women considering pregnancy, uh, especially sort of, you know, playing at elite level as well, um, what, what would it be? I just think go for it. And I think um, if you want to get pregnant, you should just do it. And and there are probably going to be a lot of doubt on the way. I mean, I don't even know how many people ask me if I was done with football when I got pregnant. And, and I'm not going to lie, the comeback is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I doubted myself many times that I was ever going to be the same player as I was before or better. But I mean, it takes a lot of work, but I mean, today I feel better physically. I'm faster, stronger, just better in every every way. And I think, yeah, just if 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 women and players have the right mindset and the like a good support system around them, I think it's possible. And um, and yeah, and I think every pregnancy is different. Just like focus on yourself. It's it's hard to get advice training wise and during pregnancy from other people because it's so different but i think everyone just need to find their own own way while they're pregnant and when they when they come back afterwards i know brilliant um Daddy, thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you being so open and honest with your responses as well that's been um it's been lovely to hear about your story and and uh, the amazing relationship that you've got with uh, between your son and the team um yeah i look forward to coming down to some of the games and seeing him on the sidelines or, or seeing his own professional career as a, as a goalkeeper explode in the future yeah. <laughs> thank you so much i really appreciate it thank you i mean what a great chat with dagny i mean absolutely hilarious and i'm very much looking forward to seeing how her son uh follows his international uh, superstar career as a goalkeeper always uh always good good to watch uh, the goalkeepers and the up-and-coming talent coming through uh but rach i mean where are you off to this weekend another busy weekend for you i'm assuming yes um first spurs leicester tomorrow and then uh, we've got double fa cup uh, on the weekend so Lewis versus Manchester United which I'm excited for and then Aston Villa versus Man City afterwards what about you where are Crystal Palace well we've got the weekend off actually so I can actually tell my mum that I can enjoy Mother's Day with her which is a delight I've not been able to do that now for about 21 years um yeah but I mean I'll be following the you know the, the Lewis game because I do feel like Lewis are going to put up an absolute battle I've heard there are going to be quite a few uh, hundreds if not uh, thousands or so fans uh, down there with the drums down at the dripping pan so um yeah i'm definitely gonna be catching up with with that game but yeah we've got our midweek fixture against birmingham city next week uh a midweeker uh, now because obviously birmingham progressed in the fa cup and it's kind of skewed the fixtures a little bit but um yeah that'll be the first time we face them so it'll be 
a really, really bloody tough battle. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Upfront. And thanks again to Dagny for joining us. Uh, if you've enjoyed our chat with her, then lucky you. We've got another interview coming out later this week. Yes, we do. Given it's the best day of the year this Friday, same Patrick's Day. Not biased at all. I thought it was time. No, I thought it was time. We needed to up the Irishness in this pod. So I will be joined by Birmingham and Ireland defender Louise Quinn. There's a few big things to talk about, like the small matter of Ireland heading to Australia and New Zealand for the World Cup this summer. So no biggie, but that is going to be epic. Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.